Uh, we did have a really great uh, Advent dinner here on uh, Wednesday. I think there are about 70 of us in here. Uh, I'll take that. Uh, 70 of us in here had a great meal together and, and then really tried to just focus. Had, really, really just had fun. Laughed a lot, sang a lot, competed a lot. It was, it was really a good day. And then, um, and then I encouraged us at this Christmas season to, uh, well, let's see. Can anybody remember what I said? What did, what did, stop, drop, and roll. Stop, drop, and roll. That's right. I said stop, drop, and roll. I said stop in the midst of this crazy season. Just take a step back. I said drop, which means to worship Jesus. And roll was a little bit of a stretch, but it was to remind you of um, Luke chapter 4, which where Jesus says, here's why I've come, and that he came for others. And that uh, that really truly might be what Christmas is about, that we would be about other people. And then, and then yesterday, a group of us went down to South Central LA and delivered bas- food baskets, and we, we were able to, to do that, that, to really experience that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So that's my encouragement for you for the rest of the season, is to really take a step back, make sure you're worshiping Jesus, and then look for ways to really serve um, other people. So that'd be great. Hey, before I jump into the sermon for today, um, it was brought to my mind, uh, you know, a couple, uh, I don't know, a month ago or so, six weeks ago, we talked about the persecution that is happening around the world, and uh, Danny did a wonderful job talking about China and all those things. It was brought to my attention that uh, last Sunday in a, in a small, small West African nation that I didn't even know existed called um, Burkin Faso. I think we have a slide. How do you pronounce it? Yeah, exactly. Burkina Faso. Is it French? I think it has a French background. But uh, this, is a, this is in West Africa. It's a landlocked um, nation, um, 25 million people in it. And, and last Sunday, 14 Christians were killed at, a, at their church service. Um, and so I just thought, it's just again a reminder of how grateful we should be where we live, but also a reminder that we should be praying for Christians around the world. So let me just take a moment and we'll pause and we'll pray for these, um, for these folks. So Lord, we do, we pray for Christians around the world. We pray for Christians that face persecution. We pray for Christians who um, put their life on the line by going, walking into a church. And we... Uh, Pray for the families of these 14 who were uh, killed last, um, last Sunday. Uh, Lord, we pray for protection. Lord, they have asked us to pray that they would not respond in anger, but would respond in love. And so that is our prayer, too, is that the love of Christ would be known, um, even in the midst of this really terrible situation. So, Lord, we do pray that you would watch over, you'd protect, and you would sustain the church around the world. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're um, in a sermon series that is kind of taking from our last series, also taking the idea of the prophets speaking into the people in exile. We're looking at some of the prophets and what they had to say and and how it relates to Christmas, to Advent. And... um, you know, I was thinking about this. If you were um, an Israelite and all of a sudden your nation is destroyed and you're taken into exile and you're in either the nation of Assyria or Babylon, you'd, you probably would have to ask yourself, how did we get here? How did this happen? 
how did how did our why are we here? What what is the what's going on here? And and I I've thought about there's really a couple reasons how the people of God got in into the position into the place they were. The first is this. It was Adam and Eve's fault. And that's kind of how you can almost look at anything like this, that it goes back to the fact that it was Adam and Eve's fault, that we are broken, sinful people, and so the Israelites were too, and they did not follow after their God, and so this is where they ended up was in exile. The other reason that you could look back to say why they were in exile goes back to kind of in the, and it's talked about in 1 Samuel, um, there were a group of people called the judges that led the Israelites, and, and the judges, God would pr- bring them into, into a position, and they would lead the people from time to time when they really needed it. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, Samuel's sons were going to be judges, and they weren't very good judges. They, um, they, were, they took bribes and all that stuff. So the people came to Samuel and said, Hey, Samuel, we want a king. And Samuel said, I don't think you really want a king. They said, no, 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 we really want a king. We want a king like all the other nations. We, we want to have a king. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says this. It says, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the beginning from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. And so the Lord looks at him and says, look, they've rejected me as their king. They want to have a king. Give them a king. And so Samuel goes back to the people and says, okay, you can have a king, but here's what he's going to do. He's going to get people and he's going to have a draft for his army. He's going to have taxes. He's going to do all these stuff. They go, we don't care. We want a king. All right, so then Samuel finds Saul and makes him the first king of Israel. He's tall, he's good-looking, and he's a really strong leader, but he wants to do things his own way, and then over time, he, he is rejected as the king. The second king is David. He's a harp-playing shepherd whose only qualification to be a king is that he has a heart after God. And so he becomes the king. And he's not a perfect king at all, He becomes a great warrior in many respects, but he will become the king that every king who follows after him is measured up against David. And unfortunately, it's not a scientific thing, but at least two out of every three kings, they're evil. They lead in such a way that the people of God are taken away from worshiping Yahweh. And over time, this continues to happen until finally, God brings these foreign countries in and they and take the people into exile. So part of the reason why Israel is in exile is they've been following after really bad kings. And so in exile, and we heard the scriptures today already, and we'll look at them again, there is a prophecy to the people, there will be a good king. There will be a good king one day. And so Isaiah chapter 9, it's really well known. For us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish, of the, of the Almighty will accomplish this. And so basically what Isaiah is saying to the people is that there will be a good king. And this is a pretty powerful, powerful, full and rich prophecy, right? So he says that a king will be born, meaning this will be a human king, right? That's what happens. That's how they have, you're born, you're a human. But then the prophecy goes well beyond anything of an earthly king. And so it's a beautiful picture of what we call the incarnation, is a picture of a, of a human and divine together. And he says that the government of the world will be on his shoulders, and then these incredible qualities of the king, right? A wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And these are the qualities you so desire to have in someone who will be your king. And then he says, there'll be no end to the greatness and peace of his government. And that it will last forever. And these qualities of justice and righteousness will be a part of who this king is. And so we get an idea that this is something bigger than just an earthly king. This is something beyond just someone who's going to be voted in. But God is doing something big. And it says that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Zeal is this incredible jealousy that you want a relationship. You want that person to be with you. Talked about it at the candlelighting as it's God's love. It's a picture of God's incredible love for his people that he wants them to be with him. Then... I don't know, 150 years later, Jeremiah also prophesies. We um, read it also. It says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make the righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety in the name of this is the name which will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. So again, it's a picture of this king, this good king, who will lead and will function out of justice and righteousness. And then he says that this is the Lord, our righteous Savior. So again, this is more than just the king who comes in, but this is someone who will come in and, and make things new, somebody who will be a savior for someone and for the people. And so these are the prophecies that the people of Israel heard in exile. There's going to be a new king. There's going to be a good king. And sure enough, someday down the road there, they, they are let to go back into their land, and they have some good leaders and some bad leaders, but no king ever, ever measured up to what the prophecies were. Until one day an angel visits a, a young teenage woman in Nazareth, and she's startled by this greeting from an angel. And then in Luke 1, it says this, but the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. 
he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That this is the good king. This is the one that the nation of Israel has been waiting for. This is what the world has been waiting for. This king. And he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. He will reign forever on the throne and his kingdom will never end. So then, I don't know, nine months, a year later, exactly, we're not exactly sure, um, a group of people come from the east. It says this in uh, Matthew 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. You see, King Herod had been installed by the Romans of that day to kind of rule over that area as the Jewish ruler of that place. These magi came from the east. It could have been a thousand-mile journey, possibly. would have taken uh, months for them to get there. We, the timing is interesting because we don't know exactly when they showed up. Jesus could have been anywhere from a newborn to a couple years old, but, um, but they show up. And their knowledge of the Jewish traditions probably came from this time of exile that we've been talking about. This time when the Jews were dispersed and the knowledge and wisdom and the books of the Jews had actually been to the... And so they see this and they believe that this means that the Savior has been born. A new king has been born. So they show up, the only place you think you could, to Jerusalem, the major city. And they go, well, where's the king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. Then it continues... When King Herod, get that, King Herod, heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews, they asked, right? And Herod's response is, wait a minute, I'm the king. <laughs> How can there be another king born? I am kind of the king. I'm in charge here. So I don't know what you're talking about, why there would be another king, but I'm the king. And he is, actually responds out of this incredible jealousy and anger. And in one of the least talked about parts of the, of the Christmas story, then he sends his army in later on to the area around Bethlehem, and kills all of the young boys two years under, years old and under. Because he is the king. He didn't want anybody else to be king. He's the king. And then it's, I think it's also really interesting that it says that all Jerusalem was disturbed also. And I'm thinking, why would Jerusalem, why would the people be disturbed? And, and, and I think that they, they just, they like the status quo. They don't want things to change. It may not be great having the Romans in there, but there's peace. They're, oh, they're taken care of. They kind of understand that if some other new king comes in, things might change. It may not be the way they've always had it. And so they don't want things to change. They're okay with it being the way it is. And that's their responses. 
But then the question really is, because it's nice to think about what, how, how uh, uh, they responded and, and how everybody responded, King Herod responded, but the real question is this. How do I respond? How, how do I respond that there's a king? How do I respond that Jesus is this good king? Do I want someone else to be king of my life? That's the question. You see, Herod's plan was to find and destroy this new king. Um, the Israelites and the people in Jerusalem just didn't even want to have to deal with anything. But, but the question for you and I is, how do I respond to this story? How do I respond that there's a king? And, and, and here's what's important for us to remember, is that, that Jesus is a good king, and, and here's why he's a good king. First and foremost, Jesus is, is a good king because of who he is. Okay, Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this about Jesus. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he used and to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That, that this is the character of Jesus. That this is who he is. This incredible statement that even though he was God, he emptied himself of that. He didn't use it for his own advantage. He was willing to be born as a human. And then it says that he took the very nature of a servant, right? So again, this is who he is. That he humbled himself even to the point of death and was obedient to death even on the cross. And these are the character qualities of who Jesus is. And this is what makes somebody a good king. That you're willing to be humble. You're willing to serve others. You're willing even to empty yourself of anything that you might gain for yourself. And these are the incredible qualities of Jesus, and it's what makes him a good king. So he's a good king because of who he is, but he also is a good king because of what he does. And in Luke chapter 4, this is the passage we looked at on Wednesday night. It says this, right after Jesus has gone through his baptism and his temptation, he's starting his ministry, and he says, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and to recover the sight of the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, and this is what he does. And he's always thinking of other people, right? This is what a good king does. And, and it says that he proclaims good news to the poor and he proclaims freedom to those in prison and he gives sight to the blind and he sets the oppressed free. And it's all this helping other people and doing what you can to lift others up. And that this is what makes someone a good king. 
And this is why Jesus is a great king for us. And so the people that were back in exile had heard about a good king, had never seen it, and now some five to seven hundred years later, this Jesus is born. And he is this good king that had been talked about by Isaiah and by Jeremiah. And now the question for us today is this, again, what do you do with this? <laughs> what do you do with the fact that Jesus is king? How do you prepare your heart for a king? Right? Our, our theme this season is let every heart prepare him room. So how do you prepare your heart for a king? You know, I was kind of thinking about this. What if, um, if the president of the United States was wanting to come over to your house, what would you do? Okay, that's not a bad question. That's a bad question, maybe. Um, <laughs> Let's think, of, um, let's think of a president you really, really like, and if you have to go all the way back to Abraham Lincoln, okay, or whatever, but, but, but you're preparing. And, you know, my first tendency would be, I'm going to clean the house, I'm going to find that stuff, that, that dust stuff, and clean up, and we're going to kind of get everything in order, and, you know, everything's going to look good, because, man, I want things to look good when the king shows up, and all that. And I think sometimes... When you think about Jesus being a king, we think, I've got to do the same thing. I've got to kind of get things in order. I've got to get my life kind of looking right. Clean that up, all that. I don't want him showing up with that. And here's the truth of this. Jesus shows up no matter what shape our life is in. We don't have to clean things up. We don't have to clean things up. So here are the things that I think we have to do. I've got four, you can, there's not really, there might be a row on your sermon notes, but here it is. The first thing you have to do to prepare your heart is to open the door. You have to open the door to your heart. Um, Revelation 3.20 says, uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus speaking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they will eat with me. I think this is such an important, important verse for us. In fact, I think I can tell you all this. So my computer, my laptop, when it goes to sleep and you have to put in a, a password, Revelation 3.20 is my password. Because I want to remember that verse. <laughs> I want to remember that Jesus is knocking. And oftentimes... I, I, I totally believe this, that for people that aren't Christians, this is an important, important verse. That Jesus might be knocking on your door of your heart and saying, let me in. I'm a good king. I'll do a good job. But that verse, Revelation 3.20, really is written to a church. It's written to people that are already trying to follow him. So it's a great reminder for me as a Christian that Jesus continues to knock at my door continues to say, hey, let me in a little bit more. Don't close me out. Let me in. So, so the first thing is to open the door. The second thing is to get off the throne. But I like being king of my life. Really, Jesus? 
I have to get off the throne and let you be the king? And let you be the one that kind of leads things and do things your way? Yeah, that's, that's what he says. And, and we can do that because we know he's a good king. Because we know of who he is and his character, and we know of the way he acts and what he does. But man, it's tough to get off that throne. I like being king. But that's what you got to do. Open the door, get off the throne. The next one is then, we have to listen to the king and obey the king. We have to listen, we have to get to know him, we read his word, we in prayer listen for the Holy Spirit's promptings, and, and we obey, and we, and we follow after him. And so we, we really do, we listen to what the king says, and we, we obey what he says. And then the last thing is this, that the king says to us, trust me, trust me. As hard as it is to get off the throne, as difficult as it might be to listen and obey, Jesus just says, trust me, because I'm a good king. So this is really hard to do. Can I get an amen? So a um, couple just stories, kind of on different spectrums. So... Uh, so a lot of you know my son Matthew's up at, in Oregon. He's going to school up there. It's been t- interesting just moving from high school to college. He's playing basketball for him. His team is on the East Coast, and they're in uh, Connecticut playing against two teams out there. They have a game on Friday, and uh, it's live-streamed, and I figured out how to watch it on my TV. I'm so proud of myself. So <laughs> I watched it on my TV. And the game's at 2 o'clock. I'm watching, watching, watching. They're getting behind, behind, behind. He's not in. He's not in. He's not in. He's not in. Oh, he's not in. Oh, man, he's not in anymore. Okay. They're finally, they get so far behind by the end of the game that with a minute 30 to go, he, the coach puts all five freshmen that are on the team in. Yay, Matthew's in. I'm so excited. I get to watch him play. So he runs around a little bit, doesn't really touch the ball, doesn't do stuff. One of his teammates has a turnover. A guy's going away on a breakaway. Matthew goes and tries to block it goes up to try and block it. He fouls the guy. The guy makes the shot. He comes down. Matthew got hit in the nose. He gets down on the, he falls down, and he comes up limping. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's in for a minute 30, and he sprains his ankle. And I mean, this is the thing that he loves. And this is the kind of the one really good thing that's going on in his life in college right now is this team and playing and being a part of it. And I'm thinking, really? Really, Lord? I mean, Matthew's been praying, Lord, I know you brought me here for some reason. I don't know what it is. And, and now I'm just watching this and going, really, this is, this is how it's going to be. Minute 30, and you sprain your ankle. Didn't get to play in the game yesterday. All right. So that's, one, that's, that's a very small thing, to be honest. Yesterday, I went to a memorial service for someone I taught with at APU named Cheryl Crawford. Cheryl was 64 years old, and last, uh, last May, she, everything seemed fine. She had some back pain, and it turned into being cancer. And I followed along all, all summer long, and the cancer, everything they tried, nothing worked, and she passed away at the beginning of November. And this is a woman that's just a beautiful woman, given so much of herself to so many people, had so many dreams of what she wanted to do, had an incredible camping ministry on the East Coast, 
And I really think, Lord, really? Really? And it kind of comes back to you have to just trust the king. Even when it's from a, from a sprained ankle to cancer. When it's from, I, I don't know what's going on in my life and things aren't working out the way I thought they would, to it's really difficult. But Jesus is a good king. And we have to be those that open the door of our heart. We have to get off the throne. We have to listen and obey. And we have to just trust, even when it's really tough. So this Christmas could be the first time you ever open your heart to Jesus, to the King. And, and it, it just happens, all you do is you say, Lord, I, I just ask, invite you, I, I need you to come into my heart as the good King. And I'll, I'll do the best I can to get off the throne, and, and Lord, I'll listen and I'll trust you, but it, it's all about I need you as a Savior, and I need you as a King in my life. But maybe for some of us, it's this the 50th or 60th Christmas, and we've known Jesus. He still knocks. He still says, let me get a little bit deeper. Continue to trust me. Continue to know me as the one who's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He's the savior who brings forgiveness and mercy. And he continually draws us to a place where we say, Lord, the throne is yours. My life is yours. Give it to you, and I'll continue to trust. I really believe this is what Advent calls us to, to be people who trust in the good king. Let's pray together. So Lord, Revelation 3.20 tells us that you knock at the door of our heart. And so I pray, Lord, you would knock. And I pray, Lord, that we as your people would listen. And I pray that we would um, open the door of our heart and that we'd allow you to be the king. Help us not to continue to try and grab the throne back. Just allow you to really be king and trust you and see what you do. For you really are a good king. You continue to call us to, to trust you in all these different areas of life. And we lay those areas before you and ask you to truly be the king of our lives. And it is in Jesus' name we pray.